Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges chapter 14. Judges chapter 14, verses 10 to 20, we'll be reading this morning. Judges chapter 14, verses 10. So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men to do. And it came to pass, when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you, if you can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast, and find it out. Then I will give you thirty sheets and thirty change of garments. But if you cannot declare it me, then shall you give me thirty sheets and thirty change of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle, that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband, that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have he called us to take that we have? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost but, but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth the riddle unto the children of thy, my people and hast not told it me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother. And shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him the seven days, while their feast lasted. And it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, because she lay sore upon him, and she told the riddle to the children of her people. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If ye had not ploughed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used as his friend. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, we thank you that we have the ability to be able to come together in this way, with this freedom, Lord, to be able to learn from you. So we pray this morning that we would make good use of this time, that we would um, redeem the time because these days are indeed evil. So we pray for your wisdom and your grace. Father, use me for this purpose. And I pray once again that the name of our Saviour be lifted up this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every day, we're faced with hundreds of decisions. You may not realise it because the many decisions that we make, we make fairly quickly and easily. Some of these decisions, or the, the vast majority of the decisions that we make, are seemingly insignificant. Um, should I use one aftershave or another? That's a pretty easy one. Should I wear my hair one way or another? I don't have that problem. 
Some decisions are made for us. Should I, should I, what clothes should I wear? And we look at the weather outside and you, you try to work out what you wear based on the weather or your circumstance. What type of breakfast should I have in the morning? Should I drive to work or do something else? Or they just There are many, many choices that we make without even thinking about them too much, to be honest with you. There are other choices that we make that are more require a bit more effort or more stamina. For example, when you pray in the morning or you pray in the evening, you know, what do I pray for? How much time do I spend praying? The Lord's, reading the Lord's Word, how long am I spending to do that? Some decisions require more stamina and effort. Um, who, do I, who do I marry? Normally a fairly good decision or difficult decision to make, which requires a lot more effort uh, when you do it. Um, for example, if you've got issues, how do I approach a specific person to talk through an issue or work out an issue? You may have an issue at work, um, and sometimes it's difficult to sort of work out who do I speak to or how am I going to speak to them? Or you may have an issue with someone that you know. There are plenty of decisions that we make. You know, where do you live? What job do you do? Um, how much do you work? Do you work on certain days? Do you not? There, there are plenty of decisions and choices that we make. Every choice has a consequence, though. Even the insignificant ones have a result. But when we disobey God's word, so when we know God's word and we have a choice in front of us whether to obey it or whether not to obey it, um, and we listen to the murmurings of our own flesh instead, which is that, that choice, instead of the Spirit of God, we reap the consequences of those choices in our lives. And not only us, but the people around us bear those consequences too. Because we don't live in isolation. We are people with relationships, and every choice that we make affects a lot more people around us. Sometimes we don't want to understand that. Sometimes we would rather think that every choice I make only affects me. But unfortunately, there are plenty of choices that affect other people. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This shows us a clear distinction between sowing to the flesh, which means making choices that gratify the flesh, and then making choices that, that are led by the Spirit of God. As a Christian, we have that choice in our lives. The unsaved don't have that choice. The unsaved are led by the, by the flesh constantly. They make decisions that are solely based on their own desires, their own wants, their own needs. Today, we'll look at this particular principle in that God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that will he reap. And we're going to see that principle displayed in the life of Samson from his terrible choice of choosing to join himself to a woman of the Philistines, a nation that were enemies of his own people. And he was meant to be a judge in Israel, a Nazarite, someone who was meant to live a very consecrated and separate life, now was choosing to actually marry someone who was the enemy of his own people, who was totally not consecrated. It meant he, he was ready to mingle himself with their lifestyle, with their 
ways of doing things. He also, as we saw last week, chose to eat honey from the carcass of a lion. Now, it was the same lion that he killed almost probably a year before. So God gave him strength. The lion attacked him while he was walking toward um, uh, the, the place, Timnath, the place where his uh, future wife was coming from. And this lion attacks him. God gives him strength. He basically rips the lion apart with his bare hands. And he leaves the lion over there. He comes back on the, on, on the way back and sees that after a while, probably all the flesh had been, had been consumed and it was probably just the, 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 basically the cage, the rib cage. And in that, bees had set up a hive. And there was honey in there. So he decides to eat from that honey. And we saw last week that he was more than likely breaking his own commitment and own laws in doing that. And then he, on top of that, he actually takes that honey and gives it to his parents. He wasn't supposed to eat the honey himself, let alone give it to his parents. So we see this guy just driven by his desires. He wanted the honey. He saw it there. He had a choice to make. Do I have it or do I not? Oh, it's, it's part of a dead body. It's, it's actually, will I be touching a dead body? Yes, you will. Should I be doing it? No, I shouldn't be doing it. But you know what? I'm hungry. I'm going to have it. And I'm going to bring some to my parents too because I want to make them feel good as well. So he, we see the decisions that he makes are constantly being led by his own flesh. Samson's choices will begin in this particular chapter to bear consequences for him and his family. Samson was by his choices sowing to his flesh and would of his flesh reap the corruption in many ways. Look at verse 10. It says, So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast, for so used the young men to do. And it came to pass when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now, what is that talking about? Well, what it's talking about is what we looked at last week. When you set your heart on marrying a woman, you, the, the parents would make arrangements. You would go back and build a house. You'd build a house, you'd take the time, you'd build a home, and then when you were all ready to go, you would go with the family, get the girl, bring her back to dad's place, and there you would have a marriage feast. This is what the Bible tells us a number of times. So where Jesus says, Behold, I go and prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also. Okay, This is what's happening. So the church is the bride of Christ, we are here. One day the Bible says that Jesus will come back, take his bride back to be with him, and guess where the marriage feast will be? Will it be here or will it be in heaven? It'll be in heaven. There'll be a great marriage celebration in heaven because God has chosen to join himself to us. It's an incredible thought just in that. You can spend weeks and months and years, if you want, just contemplating that God would choose to join himself permanently to man. We have the privilege of being part of that ceremony and that, and that choice that he's made. So the time of preparation had come and gone. Samson, by the looks of it, had finished building the house for his beloved at Dad's place. And he was heading down with Dad, it says, to the woman. But something was wrong here because... Normally, in a Jewish ceremony, and it is, is, is 
in Israel, the ceremony would be at the father's house of the groom. Now what's happening at the father's house of the bride? It seems that something had already gone wrong with the arrangements. Instead of the marriage feast being at Manoah's house, it was at the bride's family's place. Instead of Samson being surrounded by his family and his friends, it says here that they brought 30 companions. See what it says in verse 11? They brought 30 companions to be with him. That were 30 Philistines. They weren't Jews. He was there, surrounded by people that were his, essentially his enemies. They may not have been enemies directly, but they were enemies of his people. Ever been to a bad wedding? Oh, you're all, you're all smiling and nodding. Um, I've been to a few bad weddings. Now, I won't say that the whole weddings, you know, or the whole things were bad, but, you know, you have, you see conflicts happening between the, you know, the bride's parents and the, and the groom's parents. You know, where, where the, the bride's parents wanted it one way and the groom's parents wanted it another way and then they couldn't quite come to an agreement. Or you might be at, at, at a wedding where certain people do silly things. They may have drunk a little bit too much alcohol and, and done things or said certain things that they regret later on. Or you may have, you know, the, the best man's speech. <laughs> um, I've heard some interesting best man's speeches. Some that I'd rather not hear again or wouldn't have liked to have heard the first time. Um, there have been some interesting weddings that I've been to, but imagine being at a wedding where you're not surrounded by people that love you. This is one of those bad weddings, okay? And this wedding is a disaster of a wedding because it actually completely breaks down at the end. Samson and his, his mum and his father and probably his mum, I'm, I'm assuming his mum was there as well, um, were in a situation where they were in a, a foreign uh, country or a foreign um, uh, working with foreign people who had very, very different um, traditions than they did. And it looks as if they didn't get much say in the wedding. But they had to put up with it. So the first lesson that we see in Samson's life and the things that happened by his bad choices is that choosing to sin normally brings further compromise as a result. Choosing to sin normally brings more compromise and further compromise. Samson had sinned by choosing a woman of the Philistines instead of his own people. Now the wedding, which he and his parents thought was supposed to happen in a certain way, was changed and had to be compromised. It's likely that Samson was not really happy about this situation, but, sorry mate, you're going to have to wear it now. You've made the choice and you're going to have to give in because you've made that decision. He was surrounded by people who would no, no doubt be doing the very things that he wasn't supposed to be doing. He was a Nazarite and he was a Jew. He was not 
allowed or meant to eat certain types of food. And do you remember what sort of drink he wasn't allowed to have? He wasn't meant to be drinking wine or anything from the, from the, uh, the, the grape or the vine. Interesting thing is, though, that as we've read now more than once, that as you walk into this, this town, what was it surrounded by? Vineyards. So imagine what they were drinking at the wedding. So here he is, he and his family, and he's probably surrounded by people who are not only drinking uh, grape juice, they're probably drinking alcoholic juice as well. And they're probably eating foods that they weren't supposed to eat either. So imagine now you're in a situation where you're getting married and people around you are getting drunk. They didn't choose 30 old men. They chose 30 young men to be in this, in this wedding and to celebrate with him. It's likely that they would have had to sit down and at least watch her family and her friends or these fellows eat foods that they themselves were forbidden to eat and drink Drink, probably strong drink, that they weren't allowed to drink themselves. Great wedding feast. No friends. Watching your enemies enjoy themselves and sinning all, sinning all around you. And it doesn't go for a few hours. How long do our weddings normally go? How long does a marriage feast normally last for us? What, three hours? Four hours? Max? This was going on for seven days. Imagine, imagine having to put up with this... For a full week. Now he was stuck though. He made the decision and now he had to see his decision through. The before lesson for us, before you choose to compromise with sin, before you do that, please understand there are always consequences that come as a result of decisions that we make. And what will normally happen is that when you sin, you will probably have to compromise further down the track. The things that you hold true or you hold dear, you will probably have to give up more because of the choice of sin. In many cases, you will have to face another choice and then another choice. So normally, a choice... A, a decision to sin or a choice to sin doesn't just finish there. It normally then has, it normally leads to another decision and another decision and another decision. And that each one of those can be a spiral which keeps on going further and further away from the Lord. So before you make the first decision, please think. Think very hard. If the Lord doesn't want you to do it, it's for a reason. And Samson's finding out the difficult way, what happens when you don't follow God's laws. Sin always affects not just one part of your life, but other parts of your life. We like to come compartmentalise our lives and, and say that this is separate over there and this is my other life over here. It doesn't work like that in reality. We can't keep our lives compartmentalised. We can't keep them separate. What I do at work affects me here at church. What I do here at church affects my relationships with people at home. 
what I do with, with my, what at home will eventually affect my, my child growing up, will affect my friendships and everything else that goes around. We're all connected with everything. And we, sometimes we like to think that we can make a choice at home that no one knows about or we can make a choice at work to say something that no one will see or it won't affect anyone else around me at home or my friends or my, my church brethren, but it always will. Sin always affects other parts of your life and will always affect the people around you. If you choose to sin, it will affect people around you. There is absolutely no doubt about that. So never ever think that you can sin and it will bear no consequences. The Bible says that God is not mocked. Not mocked. He knows exactly the results of sin. Samson's sin not only affected his marriage to this girl, but also his parents as well. Instead of being a witness to these people, he now, because of his frustration, was going to demonstrate to them that he absolutely hated them in the middle of a wedding ceremony. Second lesson I want you to understand is that sin will reveal itself by the company that you keep. The company you want to keep, the people you hang around with more, will reveal a lot about what you believe in your heart. The very reason that Samson found himself in the company of people that actually wanted the destruction of his people was because he forsook the principles of God and his word. So because he chose to forsake God's word, he now found himself in the company of people who hated God's word who hated his own people, and yet he was going to be with them. He was going to endure that for seven days. But let me ask you a question. Hang around the world long enough. Hang around people who hate God enough. Put up with the, with the constant conversation that is contrary to what God says, and you will eventually like it. You will eventually come to accept it you will eventually not stand up for what you believe. And then you will eventually give it up. That's the basics of what happens in this world. If you find yourself drawn to fellowship with people who reject God's word, if that's who you love to spend your time and energy with, then it may say a lot about what you believe deep down in your heart. It may very well be that you're choosing or you're going in a particular path to reject his word as well. The more you need to be accepted by people in the world, do you feel as if you need to be accepted by people outside of here? If you do, if you feel as if, if they don't accept you as a person, that you somehow are losing something or you somehow aren't fulfilled or you're not complete then it may be that you will end up compromising the very principles that you say you hold dear for them because you'll be making small choices and then larger choices and then larger choices which eventually will compromise your position. You will shift and you may not even realise you're shifting. 
The more time you spend with people who reject the truth of the Bible, the more you will become influenced and seduced by them who are led by their flesh rather than the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not saying that, because as, as the Apostle Paul says, we can't extract ourselves out of this world. All I'm saying to you is, where do you love to spend your time? Who do you love to spend your time with? Because if you love to spend your time with people who hate the Word of God, if you love to spend your time and conversing and getting along with, and, uh, with people who reject the truth, then it may say a lot about you as a person. The Bible tells us that we are to be witnesses in this world. We are to be lights in this world. And yes, you can have friends in this world, but ultimately how can they be your friend if you're not witnessing to them? How can they be your friend if you're not sharing the truth of the gospel with them? If you're not being an example to them? What sort of a friend are you? If you're happy to spend time with someone enjoying their company, but never ever share the gospel with them, what sort of a friend are you? If you will happily let them go to hell because you just want to spend, have a fun time. In this particular story, God allows Samson to take this particular decision. And he'll let you as well. He will let you. There'll be warning signs, but he'll let you. Want something bad enough and God will let you have it. God let Samson have what he wanted. Samson wanted this woman. But because of this choice that he's made, he will now find out the consequences of his choice. The very people he chose to become involved with, to feel comfortable with, to marry into, will reveal eventually to Samson how much they actually hate him. It's a sad storyline. If you look at the, the story of Samson, you, you really think about it. It's a terrible story. It's not a good story. It's terrible. It's just, it's so much heartache in there that doesn't need to happen. But because of the choices that he made, he had to go through them. Look at verse 12. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If ye can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 changes of garment. But if ye cannot declare it me, then shall ye give me 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. So Samson issues a challenge. And this is, not a, this is not uncommon. So if you're spending seven whole days together, you're going to be doing stupid things like this anyway. All right? But this tells us a little bit about Samson's attitude toward them. He issues a challenge to them in the form of a riddle. He gives them seven days to guess this riddle. And if they can guess it, he is ready to buy them 30 sheets. Now, I'm not sure exactly what sheets are. I don't know if they're bed sheets or if they're some sort of um, uh, uh, material. But it says each, he'll buy for each of them. Remember, there were 30, right? He would buy for each of them a sheet and a change of clothes. Could he afford it? Absolutely not. Couldn't afford it. So he was ready to gamble with something he didn't even have. But in his mind, he thought, I'm on a sure winner. I'm going to fleece all of them. 
and they have to buy me 30. Imagine he's going to come out with 30 suits and 30 sheets. He'll be set. What does that say about Samson's attitude toward the guests? Would you do that to your friends and relatives? No, you wouldn't. Why wouldn't you do it? Because if you were trying to take advantage of the people that are meant to be celebrating this special occasion with you, you're actually showing either contempt for them or a complete lack of love. You Taking advantage of someone else is not the right thing to do. And Samson, in his heart, thought, I'm going to fix these guys up. I'm in this situation, but I'm going to make the most of it. With this riddle, Samson not only showing his guests a form of contempt, he probably had a disdain or a thing for their culture anyway. He was clearly trying to demonstrate how rich he was as well. He was, can you imagine, someone says to you, I'm going to bet you $1,000 that if you can do this, so what, what automatically would you be thinking about that person? That he had $1,000 in his pocket ready to go, Right? Samson was simply grandstanding as well. He was trying to show them, this. I'm actually rich. Don't think of me any lower than you. I can afford this. But he couldn't. To be able to risk having to provide 30 sheets and 30 suits would not have been cheap. But it's obvious that he did, couldn't afford it anyway because when he lost the bet at the end... He had to go and kill 30 people to get him. Nice way to pay off a debt. So he, he puts forward this particular riddle. Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Now, we know the answer to this riddle because we knew already that he'd killed a lion, and in the lion, the bee set up a house, and in the house, there was honey, and he went and ate, ate that honey. So we know that what he was talking about. We know the answer to this riddle. Samson may have thought that they had a fighting chance because he killed the lion next door to their own vineyards. So maybe they would have been aware of this lion where the bees had set up house. He thought maybe there's got a slight chance, but probably not much. But he probably thought they were too ignorant to guess it anyway. And after seven days, he'd be declared the winner... He'd take his wife, 30 changes of uh, clothes, go back to dad's place and be set for life. And it says here, after three days, they, they couldn't guess it. So they, they weren't... If you can't guess something after three days, what are the likelihood you're going to guess it after another three days? No. It's not going to happen. So in verse 15 it says, and it came to pass on the seventh day. Now jump straight to the seventh day, which is an interesting, interesting thing. But I think it's telling us the conclusion of how this whole thing culminated. Because it says, in the seventh day, they said unto Samson's wife, entice thy husband, which means get this answer out of him, that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Now, think, they're getting pretty desperate, these guys. To go to the bride... And say, if you don't get the answer for us, and they told they told this on the, on the last day, right? If you don't get this answer for us today, we're going to kill you and burn your and burn your family alive in in your in your dad's house. That's a bit of motivation for her. 
That's a bit of extra motivation. So it says on that last, on the beginning of that last day, they got to a point where they started to make threats against her. And in verse 16 it says, And Samson's wife wept before him and said, Thou dost but hate me and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth the riddle unto the children of my people and hast not told it me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it to my father nor my mother. And shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him the seven days. So she actually was trying to, from the first day, get the answer. She was offended from day one that she, he, didn't gone, he hadn't told her. He goes, I'm your wife, she said. And you're not telling me. And he goes, what are you talking about? I haven't told my own parents this. So he was keeping a secret from his parents and everyone else. This was too big to tell. He, he stood too much to lose. So she was crying before him seven days. But then it says on the last day that she pressed sore upon him. In verse 17, it says, And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted, and it came to pass on the seventh day that he told her because she lay sore upon him. Why was she laying sore upon him? Because she had this other threat coming on the side. So all of a sudden her motivation wasn't just offence because he wasn't telling her as his wife. All of a sudden there was something else that had to be sorted out. Lesson. It's interesting to note that Samson did not choose to tell his wife the riddle, nor did she tell Samson about the threat that had been made to her. What does it tell you about their relationship? What does it tell you about a relationship where he didn't tell her the answer and she wouldn't tell him, this is what's happened, what do we do about it? There's a word that starts with T. Yeah? And it's trust. He neither trusted her and she didn't trust him. Possibly because he didn't tell her the, the answer to the, um, to the riddle anyway. So there was a lack of trust in this relationship already. This is not a relationship that was built on trust, nor it seemed was this a relationship that was built on love. Because if there was genuine love, guess what builds as a result of love? Trust. Genuine love shows faithfulness. It shows consistency. It shows concern. We don't see this in this type of relationship. Without genuine love, though, there can't be genuine trust. And the Philistines didn't trust Samson because he was an Israelite. His people were at war with the Philistines. And even though he had sought to marry a Philistine, it was evident that the Philistines did not trust him one bit. In fact, they thought that he and his wife, if you look at the end of that particular um, thing there, in verse 16, it says, um, uh, where is it here? In verse 15, sorry, it says, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have you caught, have ye, so he's speaking to her, have ye called us to take that we have? In other words, have you called us here so you can rip us off, so that you can take advantage of us? That's what they thought of her, because she was now in cahoots with her husband. 
So there's no trust with anyone. They didn't trust him. He didn't trust them. There was no trust between the wife and him. But if they'd loved each other, trust may have built up over time. But there was no trust. There was no love. So for whatever reason, Samson's new wife chose to tell her countrymen the answer to the riddle on the very last day. And it was because she said, the scriptures say, she lay sore upon him. So she must have laid the guilt treatment on pretty thick. She must have cried plenty of tears to get this uh, particular thing through. Finally, he caved in on that last day thinking to himself, well, there's only today left. She won't go and tell him today, the last day of our feast. But she did. And then what's interesting is that the actual guests chose to tell him the answer. You know when? Just before the sun went down. So on the very last day, just before the end, they dragged this thing on as long as they could, rejoicing in that last day because they knew the answer. And he thought he, he, thought he had them tricked, but they knew otherwise. So they fed off this. And then in verse 18 it says, And the men of the city said unto him, On the seventh day, before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, If you had not ploughed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. So he, they gave him the answer back, not just as an answer, but as another question. What's, what's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? So he knew that they, they, they had the answer. But it was probably devised. They probably answered him in a way to infuriate him even more. Samson worked out very quickly, though, that they could not have only they could not have obtained the answer without his wife. Which would have been pretty heartbreaking when you think about it. And she was probably hoping that he wouldn't realise what she had done, but he did. So he tells them in an unusual and insinuating manner that they had stolen the answer from his wife. And he uses a metaphor when he says, if you hadn't ploughed with my heifer, now heifers are what? Heifers are cow. If you, haven't, you hadn't ploughed with my cow, you wouldn't have actually been able to get the result. So in other words, you were saying, it's like you've stolen my cow, you've gone and ploughed your own field, and you've got the results because you stole it, you did it dishonestly. Now... When you first read this particular phrase, if you hadn't ploughed with my heifer, um, it seems as if there's some sort of a sexual connotation to this thing. That somehow she's, maybe she'd been sleeping with someone else. But I don't, I don't think it necessarily has to go there. Nevertheless, she betrayed him. She chose to side with them. She chose not to let him know what was happening because he may have been able to do something about it. And this is where he now finds himself. The result is difficult to Samson, who must now find a way 
He's, so he's been, on the last day of their, of their marriage feast, he's been betrayed by his wife. He's been conned by all these guys. He's in enemy territory. He now has to go and find a way to pay for this thing. So he storms off. And it says in verse 19, so he leaves, can you imagine he, he, he storms out of the party, he storms out of this, uh, this celebration, and in verse 19 it, says, and 19 it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them, which expanded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he used his friend. So Samson heads to a city called Ashkelon. Now, Ashkelon was already a city under dispute. It was already a, a major city where the Philistines and, and the Israelites were possibly even fighting there at that stage. So he goes down there, jumps into the fray and, 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 and slays 30, takes all their stuff, and then ends up bringing it back to that town, Timnath. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him again, so he was actually able to do that. And after he fulfills his obligations to the winners, now mind you, he probably could have, if you thought about it, he probably could have actually disputed the whole thing. All right? He could have said, hang on a sec, you guys cheated. But he still goes and fulfills the obligation. But once he, once he actually pays them what they're entitled to, it then says that he goes off to his dad's place. It says that he's angry. It says his anger was kindled and he went up to his dad's place. He probably couldn't even face her at that stage. So he decides, I'm just going to go back to dad. I'm just going to cool off down there. And things go from bad to worse. Because her father then thinks, he's not coming back. He hates us. He hates her. He's not going to come back and, and take her to be his wife. So then her father gives his daughter to someone else. Not a good way to finish a wedding. Things just went from seemingly very bright when he falls in love and they're off to, off to a wedding, to a complete and utter disaster by the end of it. Not only has he lost his wife, he's lost a bet, he's, he's, he's come out with egg on his face, but she then is given by her father. Because, well, the father was probably thinking he was doing the right thing anyway. He probably thought, well, my, I can't leave my daughter here with no one now. So he ends up giving her to someone else. Things went from bad to completely bad in Samson's life. It would seem that a man can slay a lion with his bare hands, but have little control over himself. This is the lesson that we learn from Samson. He can kill a lion. God can give him the strength to do that. He did it only through God's strength. But he can have very little control over his own passions and his own choices in life. Yes, he, he deserved to glorify God for rescuing him from the lion. And God even gave him the power and the strength to kill those men. But he was still a man filled with passions and making wrong choices. 
You know, there are victories that God gives us in our lives. If you have a relationship with God, God will give you victories. And every victory we have, whether it's a spiritual victory or even a physical victory, we owe every one of them to the Lord. We don't do it in our own strength. Samson didn't kill a lion in his own strength. God gave him the strength to be able to do it. The greatest victory we can have in our lives is victory over sin, which Samson really needed more than anything else. Victory over sin and to win obedience is probably the greatest victory we can have. But to win obedience, one must be ready to overcome the flesh. Because the flesh is that thing which entices us one way and the Spirit of God is the one that that is leading us another way. When we pray on a Wednesday evening or here on a Sunday morning, we can pray for physical things, can't we? We can pray for jobs for people. We can pray for healing from sicknesses and illnesses and that people would recover from, uh, from surgeries and such. We can pray for provision in our lives and protection um, as we go about our daily tasks. We can pray for um, the food on our tables, the clothes to wear, a house to live in. And these are all fine. These are all good things to pray for. But these aren't eternal things. Understand. These aren't eternal things. God protected Samson from a roaring lion. So he gave him physical protection at that stage. And that was a wonderful thing that God gave him. The benefit was physical in nature. But the main problem with Samson is that he didn't need physical but spiritual assistance. His flesh desired a woman he was not supposed to have. He dishonours his parents by forcing them to accept her. He consumes honey from a carcass of a lion because he was hungry. He makes a wager and gambles with things that he didn't have, with people that he wasn't even meant to be with. Do you see a pattern there? Do you see a, a pattern? He was a, he was a man of absolute emotions. He was a, he was a man of... of fleshly desires who sought to gratify what he wanted more than anything else. His effort and his focus were about benefiting the flesh. He sought to gratify his desires and his emotions. And he was not at all focused on the things of the Lord, but rather on his own things. And as a result, his life was becoming more and more tumultuous He was supposed to be living a particular life, but he chose to live a different life. And as a result, his life was becoming more and more conflicted. His life was becoming more and more tumultuous with fights and battles all around him. And this was was completely his own doing. In trying to gratify, gratify his earthly needs and desires, he forgot his heavenly needs and commitments. God has called us to operate on a different level. A different plane to Samson. Yes, God can give us our daily needs. God will always give us our daily needs. He actually promises it in his word. But the Bible tells us, seek ye first the kingdom of God. 
and his righteousness. And all these things, which are all the things where, where God heals you from illnesses, provides for what you need, protects you and all those things, shall be added unto you. Do you get that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God will add all those things to you. The problem with Samson was that Samson was in the middle of his own world, not the Lord. And as we live our lives, our motivation should not be what we can gain or what we need, but on what the Lord calls us to be and to do. By having our attention on heavenly things, the earthly things are taken care of automatically. I asked you before if your life was in a conflict, if you have peace. One of the reasons that Christians don't have peace is because their eyes are too focused on the world. And the world changes day after day. The world goes through illness and death and problems and, and conflict and every other issue that you can think of. We are surrounded by all these things. You know something? If your mind and your heart is in heaven, and Jesus says that you are storing up treasure that cannot be touched, that cannot be corrupted, then you will have peace. You will have joy because you're not rooted to this earth. When we, focus our, when we have our focus on earthly things, there cannot be peace. There cannot be peace. Because the earth, our lives, our health, our wealth, our work and so on are always in a state of change and flux. This reflects Samson's life and the life of many Christians today. They are so focused on what's going on around here. They are so focused on the earthly things that with every ebb and flow and every um, thing that doesn't go right, they fall into a pit or find themselves on top of a mountain and the next day they're back in a pit again. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and we'll close up with these final thoughts. brief passages I want you to understand that Samson didn't understand but the Apostle Paul did the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 not that I speak in respect of want now that's just need that's his, that's his particular need Okay, he says for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Do you see where his mind and his heart is? Even if Paul didn't have a piece of bread to eat, or the next day he had a huge uh, meal in front of him, if Paul didn't have a house to live in one day and the next day he found himself in a mansion, if Paul one day had zero money but the next day actually had a huge amount of money that came to him, it really didn't make much of a difference to Paul because those things didn't affect 
his heart. They didn't affect his outlook on life. Because you know what his, where his outlook was? In heaven. Because in Christ, he had everything that he needed anyway. And all these other things, they're just a bonus. Do you understand? But if you, fight, if you put your focus too much on earthly things, then your life will be in a constant state of turmoil. He tells us also in 1 Timothy, just listen to this one, 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness. So the first thing he thought of was being godly, was being holy, was living a life that God wanted him to live. His heart and his mind were focused on heaven and the Lord himself. So it says here, but godliness with contentment, which means be happy with that is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Do you understand what he just said there? Just having food and the clothes on your back. Let's be happy with that. Don't get too wrapped up in the things of this world. If the job offer doesn't come through, if the paycheck isn't as big as what you want, if you can't afford the house that you're hoping for, and all these other things that we can focus on in our lives, don't have your heart too firmly attached to this world. Because if you do, all you're asking for is heartache. The problem with Samson is he was not content with the Lord. He was not content with who he was in God. But he had to continually fight more and more and against the laws of God as well. Don't fight against the boundaries that God gives to you in your life. They're there for your and my protection. Don't wander into the valley of sin as we saw Samson did with this woman. God has given us much more than the world. Don't have your eyes on the world. Have your eyes on the, on the one who created the world. God bless you. Thank you.